Well, good morning, everyone. That was quite an introduction. Wow. Um, but uh, I'll try to live down to it. Um, it was fun when the Harry Potter phenomenon started, especially here in Japan, because before that, people struggled with my name like they do with many uh, non-Japanese names. Like, ah, one, of, one pastor introduced me once, saying that uh, Potta reminded him of a Potto. And so that was kind of not inspiring. Uh, introduction. Uh, but once Harry Potter came along, then, you know, Harry Potter and Bari Potter sound so similar. Um, at one meeting, actually, in, this was in the U.S., I guess, but uh, after the meeting was over, the service was over, a mother brought her daughter, who was about this high, to me and said, my daughter specifically wanted to come tonight because she wanted to meet the real Barry Potter. <laughs> Looking for you know, lightning bolt on my forehead or something. And truly, she approached me going like this, mesmerized by finally meeting the real Barry Potter. So I feel famous, and but all for the wrong reasons, right? Unfortunately. <laughs> well, it's really, really delightful to be here and uh, appreciate the invitation of the Cisco's to come uh, this morning. And they speak very well of you all. So I have looked forward to this opportunity to share with you. Um, I would like to talk this morning. Let's see, how are we doing? Looks good. And will this work? Yes, excellent. Okay. I would like to share with you this morning and talk about the unity of the body of Christ. Such an important subject for us. Uh, and let me, let me start by sharing a story that I've never forgotten from one of Charles Swindoll's books. You're probably familiar with uh, Charles Swindoll, he's written many books on Christian living, a well-known speaker. I read the story many years ago. I've never forgotten it. Uh, he told the story about two small churches in a small town uh, in the Midwestern part of the United States. This was a town that was emptying of population, kind of a farming area. Uh, many towns like this at the moment in the rural parts of that Midwestern farming belt in the U.S. that are losing population as kids grow up and move to the city. And so there were two churches in town, just two, and both of them were losing members because of this population drain. And even though they were from very, very different traditions and backgrounds, they decided perhaps they should start discussing the possibility of merger. Uh, one, one church that would be a little bit stronger rather than two that were weak and losing members. And so even though they were from very different traditions, I think one was probably more congregational, the other may be more high church denominational, I'm not sure. But uh, amazingly, as they formed a committee and began to discuss back and forth, they got through many, many of the very seemingly difficult issues that they would have to work through in order to merge. Things were looking good. But pretty much at the end of this entire process, an issue came up which not only could they not overcome or work through, but it was an issue that produced a little bit of tension and then maybe a bit of fighting and anger. And so the merger was off. And not only was it off, but the two churches retreated to their own programs and their own buildings, feeling worse about each other than when this started. So it would be interesting if this was a class, I would ask for lots of, of uh, ideas about what the issue was after all of the things that two churches from such different backgrounds would have to face. And I, I wonder if you probably 
would not guess what it really was, so I'll just have to tell you. Um, here is the issue that caused all of the problems. <clears throat> Both of the churches uh, recited the Lord's Prayer in their services every Sunday. One church uh, used, I guess it's the older form of, uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And the other church said, forgive us our trespasses uh, as as you as we forgive those who trespass against us. Yes, there you go. And they could not resolve this. They dug in. One wanted it one way, one wanted the other, and, and pretty soon discussion became strong and turned to anger, and it was off. All because of that one issue. And here's how Swindoll ends the story. The local newspaper, you know, not much going on in a little town in farming country. So the the newspaper, the local newspaper summed up the end of these discussions by saying, one church retreated to its debts and the other to its trespasses. <laughs> so isn't it tragic when, the, when Christians who cannot get along have this type of reputation and this type of negative testimony to the communities around? Unfortunately, many who are not going to church, perhaps who one day did and were alienated in some cases, um, decide not to know and follow our Savior, Jesus Christ, because of the inability of his people to truly live a life that is exemplary and to really get along with one another. So this is, a, this is an important issue. So let's think about it a little bit today. This was the tale of two churches. Um, I'd like to read a few verses this morning from Colossians 3, verses 12 through 15, uh, that addresses this very topic and helps us to understand how to get along with each other and thereby to be the witnesses to the outside community that God wants us to be. I'll start reading from verse 12. Therefore, God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of the Messiah, to which you were also called in one body, control your hearts. Be thankful. In my version, that verse 15 ends with be thankful, another key element of of our unity in the body. So, this is Paul writing to the church in Colossians. And I wonder what kind of issues they were facing. We don't know a lot about the church in Colossae, but we do know that they were facing problems with syncretism. Syncretism is a big word, which basically means the introduction of non-Christian ideas and thoughts into the Christian faith. And not only non-Christian ideas, but bringing them in on the same level. The Christian and non-Christian thought uh, brought together in some way. They were struggling with this. And it's understandable because, in some ways, because the church in Colossae was composed of people from many different backgrounds that were present in the church, all trying to work out what it means to be Jesus' followers in a very heathen context. Uh, We read that there were Jews and Greeks, 
that there were um, Phrygians and um, other others present. <clears throat> we see here there were, according to uh, Colossians 3.11, just a, a few verses earlier than our passage, Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarians, and barbarians uh, were the word used for non-Greek. You know, the Greeks looked down on non-Greeks, thought of them as barbarians, rough-hewn rough, rough hewn types, um, that there were Scythians, and this group of people uh, were a brutal tribal group, considered quite uncouth, very brutal, no better than wild beasts. That was the Greek view of this back, of people from this background. And slave and free as well. Now, can you imagine? This is a, a wonderful multicultural church. Uh, you are all from so many different nationalities and backgrounds, so it's wonderful that we can have this great fellowship together in Jesus, isn't it? Uh, but I think this church would, would uh, make our church sound seem very sort of pretty much from one more or less background compared. I mean, imagine uh, these kinds of, of ethnic backgrounds side by side trying to worship together. Uh, the Greeks, which are very cultured, and sitting next to them, these unwashed, uncouth types um, had all, who had also come to Jesus, but uh, how are we going to work this out together, really? Um, so they were struggling. And so into this context, Paul speaks of being united together in love. And we'll look at just some of the aspects of what it means uh, to be united in Christ as we go. So as we look at um, Paul's words here, um, he, uses, uh, he uses the idea of putting on. So the word background here, the Greek background to this is to clothe. Actually, just very similar to putting on clothes. To clothe ourselves as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So it's putting off the old self, as we see in verse 9, taking on the new self. It's an analogy of clothing. So we understand how we put on clothes. I think we all probably did it this morning. Did anyone not put on clothes this morning? Anybody? You look well clothed. Everyone looks fine. No pajamas, as far as I can see. So we all did this this morning, and so we know the whole idea of putting on uh, is intentional, right? We don't just kind of walk out the door praying that somehow we'll have clothes that will look right, uh, and then pass a mirror and go, whoops, didn't work, whip, back home. Uh, so there's an intentionality about living this kind of life, taking off the old self, putting on the new self, an analogy of clothing. And then Paul says, uses these phrase, this phrase, holy and beloved. So putting on or clothing as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Why does Paul mention these two attributes in particular? Because part of it is that, that involved here is that God has set us apart and God has loved us uh, so that we can indeed love and care for and get along with each other. So we're not struggling with unity. We're not struggling to do the right thing um, in somehow a vacuum. You know, God sort of sprinkles us with some spiritual dust and says, live aright. Get along with one another. The fruits of the Spirit, go for it. But 
God is involved in this process as because we are God's chosen ones. God has already chosen us and has loved us. We are holy and beloved. Uh, in 1 Peter 2.9, uh, Peter uses the expression, you are a chosen people. Uh, do you feel chosen today? Uh, very important, right? We can't live out the life that God has called us to unless we sense that the idea that we are chosen and we are loved, we are beloved, we are set apart. Not to be taken out of the world, but to be salt and light in the world, right? But still, uh, a very important part of our calling is to recognize this. So, how are we to treat others? And Paul gives us a recipe uh, here for living out uh, life united uh, in Christ. There are five different elements that he mentions here uh, in this section that I've read. And I think they're kind of divided into three different moving parts. And let me introduce those to you. The first two, which we'll look at just in a minute, in a minute have to do with how we treat others, how we intentionally treat others. And we'll look at that. And then uh, it's important to know how we understand ourselves. And finally, how we react to treatment by others. So there's the how we respond proactively is number one. And number three is how we respond when we are the recipient of the love or lack of love from others, including especially the body of Christ. And then this middle one is kind of how we understand ourselves. So let me just take you through this very quickly. and. Maybe this will help us to understand um, how this works out practically. So first of all, we are to clothe ourselves with compassionate hearts. What does it mean to have a compassionate heart? Um, I would suggest an emotional engagement with others. You know, it's hard. Have you tried to love someone without being involved with them? You know, like, I, I really, in, in, in Jesus, because I know I should, I love... Oh, I don't know, let's just pick somebody here. But I don't know you. I'm not involved in your life. You, you look really nice. You seem to be great people. So I love you. That actually wasn't too hard. You know, I did not have to practice this over and over again in the, this morning in front of a mirror. I'm going to love those people. I'm going to love those people. I love you. No, I love you. I love you. This is so hard. No, it's not. This is, this, is, uh, this is actually pretty easy. It's great to be here this morning. I feel a great you know, joy in the spirit in being here. But doesn't it become a bit different as we start to get emotionally engaged with people and then we kind of bump up against them and we kind of uh, have some experiences along the way that may or may not be pleasant, but to emotionally engage with others and still have that compassionate heart for one another, so important. That inner yearning which feels deeply for others. So whether there are people here or in your community, uh, in your family, among other believers, that you <clears throat> get along with really, really well or maybe have more struggles with, uh, can you open yourself to allowing God to give you an inner yearning to feel deeply for them when they share their struggles, to really take that on and to pray for them and be concerned for them? That's compassionate heart. Is, are you compassionate for each other? Not just interested, not just, hi, how are you? But willing to enter in to the lives of one another. Compassion. Okay? The second one here is kindness. Kindness, I feel, is like a little bit re related to compassion in that it's a, it's a readiness to do good. It's um, especially 
uh, important for us to act kindly to one another if it is undeserved or if we feel that it is undeserved. And sometimes we do, don't we? I mean, how do we assess how deserving our brothers and sisters in Christ are for us to kind of be kind to them? I'll be more kind to that person because they're great. And with that one, I'm going to sort of dole it out a little bit more skimpily because, well, you know, that they tend to be a bit rude and um, not really... I mean, it's just a personality thing, really. This, these are the kinds of things we say, right? Um, are we really willing to be kind uh, out of a desire for the other's good, not assessing for ourselves whether it's deserved or not? So kindness. <clears throat> so let me ask you again. Are you compassionate and are you living out a kind spirit to one another? All parts of unity, of maintaining our unity. Okay, so remember I said those, these first two really are how we uh, live out our faith in, uh, proactively to others. And this middle one here, humility, I think, is really more focused on ourselves, our inner being. How we understand ourselves, humility, uh, the, that attitude of, and position of lowliness and servanthood. Uh, we really can't be compassionate and kind to one another, can we, if we're harboring a proud spirit? You know, do, are we humble? And by humble, it doesn't mean going through the paces of saying, oh, I'm awful, oh, no, 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 not at all. You know, in, we are familiar with, especially the Japanese custom of, no, 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 oh, no, no, no. Oh, I'm, oh, no, no, I'm awful, no, 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 no. Uh, especially when someone says something kind, right? We can't, we... Culturally, we can't, and I'm not even suggesting we do so, to say, yes, you're right. <laughs> I am great. Yes, sir. No. However, uh, humility, a true humility which takes stock of who we are uh, in Christ, honestly and sincerely. Humility. <clears throat> are we humble people? Without it, uh, the unity of the body of Christ is threatened. And then the final two are in this category of how we react to treatment by others. And to me, I think this is the trickiest area. So let me see if you agree or not. The fourth one that we are told to close, our, close ourselves with is um, gentleness. Gentleness? Is that what it says? Yeah, okay. That's really small print there. Uh, gentleness. <clears throat> so gentleness encourages positive change in a non-coercive way as we gently deal with others. You know, it's not possible in the kind of life that God wants to have as his body to just kind of always sit back and smile and be kind, compassionate. Sometimes there are actions we need to take. We do need to speak to others. We do need to be involved in their lives. Uh, can we do that? We don't want to avoid it. It's very important to do that to be actively involved in the body, but can we do it in a way that encourages positive change where change is necessary, uh, that does not insist on our own rights, a willingness to give way when no principle is at stake. And this is very, this is very tricky because uh, some of us stand on principle. Are there any principle-minded people here? This is the way things must be done. There is right and there is wrong. All right. And so, to follow Jesus faithfully, we must insist on certain standards. And your standards are different than mine, so I'm sorry about yours. 
because the right way has arrived. <laughs> of course, we don't say it that way, but does that attitude sometimes sneak through? doesn't sound like Paul's uh, gentleness. And the, the problem with that is this. Some of us mistake principle for preference. So fine line between the two, isn't there? And uh, perhaps as we, again, uh, seek to celebrate the unity of the body of Christ, before we take that stand and before we say, I beg your pardon, there is a better way to do this or there is the right way to do this, that we should prayerfully consider whether what we're getting a little excited about is a preference uh, rather than a principle. I think we're, as a church, and I don't mean this church, but just a general church, I think and hope that we're more or less beyond the worst of the music wars of the past. But there, there is an, uh, an area now, perhaps as we look back, I certainly look back uh, and see a lot of preference that was being expressed as principle. So just one, I, one thought. Uh, there are many other examples that can probably be given. Are we gentle? Are we gentle people? Yes, we do sometimes have to discuss important topics. We do have to express our views. Uh, some of them, even if they are preferences, are things that we need to talk through. But can we do that in a, with a gentle spirit, as Paul suggests here? And then the final one to clothe ourselves with is patience, or in some versions, long-suffering. You know, that has to do, I think, with taking a long view and working with others. Is there anybody here that, that has never been impatient with somebody else? I'd like to see your hand so I can give you a special prize or a medal or in all humility to allow you to stand up and be recognized. But I don't see you. Too. Okay, that's what I expected. You know, impatience with others. It's, uh, it's part of the jostling of life together in the body, isn't it? Uh, taking the long view, though, and working with others is important because today there may be struggles, but you know what is God's will for our brothers and sisters in Christ six months from now, a year from now, and even beyond as they seek, as we seek to encourage them in their growth and maturity in Christ. Oops, what happened? Can you go ahead and reset that? I may have just hit the wrong button here. Um, so bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Notice how the text continues with that. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving one another. I hope you are people who are quick to forgive. It's tough. Uh, we all know, any of, any of us who have been Christians for a while, um, know how <clears throat> important it is to forgive. We know we're commanded to forgive. But wait a minute. You know, forgiving, yes, but not about this, these are very serious things. And I was spoken to very rudely. So I, of course I'm going to forgive. I forgive, okay, but still, I'm very upset. So God forgives you, but I'm not sure about me. Um, so forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven us. I think one of our, <clears throat> one of our issues with forgiveness um, is the attitude toward the other party. So I have some very good friends who went through very difficult circumstance uh, with somebody who was their supervisor, their team leader. It was very, very distressing for them and probably very unfair. Um, they were victims, I think, of a little bit of a power struggle. Uh, maybe some of you have similar 
stories from either you or acquaintances of yours who've gone through some very unhappy struggles within the body of Christ. That's the worst part of it, right? I thought you were a brother and a sister in Christ, and this is, my, this is how I'm being treated. And so they made this statement to me once as I kind of walked with them through this. Uh, they said, <clears throat> until this person who treated them so wrongly, until he repents, there is nothing to forgive them for. They're not asking for forgiveness. They're not recognizing they did anything wrong. No need for me to forgive. How does that sound? Does that sound spiritual? Does that sound right? You know, forgiveness is what we have been commanded to do. And for those of us who've been through experiences like this and choose to forgive, it can be a tremendous release and a wonderful sense of peace that replaces uh, the grating edge of bitterness that can often come in. So what if there is a reasonable cause? What if we are truly victims? What if anybody would agree with us? Should we then still forgive as the Lord has forgiven us? I think we would all agree, yes. Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven us. Remember how we were when God came into our lives, when we accepted Jesus' forgiveness? Uh, many of us were in a state of rebellion and struggle and remember that day when Jesus came in and saved us and released us from that. So, yes, even if the other party thinks they're right and is digging in and refuses to apologize, we must forgive. We're commanded to do so. We won't take time today to, to think about the fruits of the Spirit, but uh, most of us are familiar with this. Galatians chapter 3. A lot of what we're talking about today is actually living out uh, the fruits of the Spirit. So we know in verse 13, uh, where it says here, accepting one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against the other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. May we be people who forgive as we have been forgiven. <clears throat> Even if an, there is a reasonable cause for us to be a little upset, we have righteous indignation. Is indignation, all familiar with that, right? Um, indignation is a fruit of the Spirit, right? Well, what about righteous indignation? Remember, you know, people say that, right? Righteous and indignation. Um, I don't know what verse that comes from in the Bible, but I don't think it's a good idea. No, of course not. Uh, God asks us to forgive. And then here is the clothing analogy again. Uh, as we move into verse 14, um, Above all, put on, and here that put on again is the idea, the imagery of clothing. To actually put on, to make a conscious decision to do this, put on, what's the word? Love. Right. Love. Isn't love just something that kind of sweeps over us? Like, I'm love. I'm feeling loving today. Yes. Boy, I love you all, and you all love me. Uh, but come to think of it, I don't feel that way, to be honest, about Everybody, every day. It's a little confession. Hope you won't run me out of your church later. But, um, and I think that's why Paul says, put it on. It's not something we feel or not something that's more today than another day, but it's something we put on. We grasp it. We take hold of it and say, love is going to characterize my life in the body of Christ. So put on love. It's really important. Love transforms these virtues we've been talking about from dull duty into joy and delight. 
Have you experienced that? You know, this list we've been going through today, or even the fruits of the Spirit, um, you know, can become a laundry list of things that we have to do to live the life of Christ the way we're supposed to, and to please God. Oh, wow. But once, and I think that's why Paul brings it in here, he covers the basics, these five concepts that we've been covering, and then, above all, put on love. Love is what makes this work. Not just another item on the list of virtues. That was, this isn't number six. Of, you know, after the five that we covered. But this is not even just a supreme virtue. It's the bond which knits us together into completeness and perfection. Love transforms the virtues from dull duty into joy and delight. Anybody interested in living the life of Christ with a lot of joy and delight? I know I am, and yet I must confess that because of the very things we've been talking about today, I have my days. I don't feel a lot of joy, and I don't feel a lot of delight. But here is God's invitation to us to grasp this, to put it on, and to live it out. And then the rule of peace. And let the peace, in my version it says, of the Messiah, and let the peace of the Messiah, to which you were also called in one body, control your hearts and be thankful. So, peace. Peace, the rule of peace. Isn't that interesting, the expression, the rule of peace? How can peace rule us? You know, ruling, you know, we know that's the normal use of that word when there is an authority figure over us, when, you know, there's a, in an autocratic country, a dictatorship where there are rulers. Um, so that's what rule means. And now Paul is, is suggesting that peace can rule us, control us almost in an authoritative way, just like the, the, this other sense of rule that we understand. In fact, as we go into the Greek, we find that the word is, like, is likened to an umpire. It's a kind of, there is an, a, a quasi-athletic meaning to it. Um, peace will rule. It's like, okay, you're in, you're out, blowing the whistle. Um, as in all of the back and forth of life, as we are faced with challenges to put this into practice, we have good days and bad days, <clears throat> peace can and will rule if we allow it to. Uh, and this is Jesus in us and his Holy Spirit. It still relates to the body of Christ, but must be present uh, in each one of us. <clears throat> Let me just close with a story which maybe illustrates some of this. Uh, this is a very moving story. It's a, in a sense, it's a story of two islands, uh, or I, two island groups. Well, I guess the other isn't quite an island, but the islands of Japan and the peninsula of Korea. In the early 1900s, uh, Japan invaded and occupied Korea, as you all know. And one thing they did, immediately did, is close churches and persecute Christians. In one particular area of Korea, a pastor whose church had been closed continually went to the Japanese ruler of that district asking that his church could be reopened. His flock was praying about it, and then he would go, but he would be turned down. Finally, on one such visit to ask for this, uh, the Japanese generals agreed, agreed for the church to be open just one evening for one service only, and then it would be closed again. And so the word spread through the district, and not only the people who were members of that church, but many others from around, whose churches were also closed, all flocked to this church on this particular evening. What a wonderful night of celebrating and worship as they were allowed. The soldiers were standing around, but standing to one side as the people were allowed to go in. Well, once the people were in and singing and worshiping, 
At first, I did not notice that uh, the soldiers uh, barricaded the door shut uh, and then set fire to the church with all those people inside. As the smoke began to billow, the people suddenly panicked, realizing what was happening. Uh, some tried to climb out the window, but bullets hit their bodies and flung them back inside, uh, realizing that there would be no escape. The pastor knew it was the end. As onlookers were outside the church watching all this happen, uh, the last thing that they heard before the church completely burned down and consumed its occupants was uh, this, the Korean version of this song, this hymn, which we all are familiar with, I think, um, At the Cross. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight and now I am happy all the day. They sang the verses to that as well as the chorus. Well, after it was all over, the embers could be cleared. That was the easy part. Uh, clearing up the hatred and the bitterness of that event was, of course, much more difficult. Now, fast forward to the 1970s. A group of Japanese pastors were touring Korea, and they came across a memorial in an open space uh, which related the story I've just told you. And they were overcome with shame, even though, of course, none of them had been involved. In fact, most of them had not even been born at that time. Overcome with shame that their country could have committed such a grievous sin and tragedy. Well, the Japanese pastors returned to Japan and raised money uh, to put up a new building on that site. Uh, the Koreans appreciated it, accepted the money, a building was built, and then a delegation of Japanese pastors returned to that, or went to that place for a dedication service. The Korean the Koreans expressed appreciation to the Japanese for raising this funds, these funds, but there was still coolness. There was still bitterness hanging in the air. After all, these Japanese are responsible for this tragedy, and of course many others in the Korean Peninsula over those years. Well, they went through the, the uh, form of the service between the Japanese sitting over here and the Koreans sitting over here, uh, and then at the end, the leader of the service suggested that they sing that same song. That same song again. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. And the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Well, I really can't... <clears throat> I've only told this story two or three times, but I, I break down each time, so I'm going to try my best. But it's just such a moving story of God's reconciliation, forgiveness. The normally stoic Japanese could not contain themselves. With tears, they knelt down before the Korean brothers and asked for forgiveness. Forgive us, forgive us. At first, the Koreans remained cool and unresponsive. Remember, decades and decades of bitterness and hatred at these people who were now thinking it could all be done, taken care of at one moment of saying, please forgive me. But one Korean turned toward a Japanese brother and then another. Let me just read you the end. This is from uh, Little House on the Freeway by Tim Kimmel. So you can see the longer version of the story there. 
But let me just read the last paragraph of this story that, as he writes it in his book. One Korean turned toward a Japanese brother, then another. Then the floodgates holding back a wave of emotions let go. The Koreans met their new, I can't do it, sorry, their new Japanese friends in the middle. They clung to each other and wept. Japanese tears of repentance and Korean tears of forgiveness intermingled to bathe the sight of an old nightmare. Heaven has sent the gift of reconciliation to a little white church in Korea. Isn't that a wonderful story, at least a wonderful ending to a hard, a hard time? You know, if in a setting like that, and with the history of that in the background, if there can be forgiveness and reconciliation, don't we feel a little bit small when we harbor our own chips on our shoulders toward somebody who may have wronged us in some small way? So in conclusion, unity and love. I'm thinking not only as churches are in unity, but as we as believers are reconciled and living together in love, kindness and compassion with one another in the body of Christ. May we be people, may we be a church, may you be a church, characterized by compassion, by kindness, by humility, by gentleness, and by patience. Let me just close in prayer briefly. Heavenly Father, I know these words strike me very deeply personally. I think of relationships, even within family relationships that I struggle with at times. Sometimes it's, so, it's the hardest to deeply love with your love, those who are closest to us, because of the long history we have with them. But I pray, Lord, for each one of us uh, in this room today, I pray, Lord, that our lives may be lived out with a deep sense of compassion and kindness to one another, with a sense of humility which before you uh, honestly expresses itself in relationships, and then in kindness and patience as others often approach us and challenge us uh, in, in ways that can be very upsetting. May we be people who live out this love, and may we be people who are ruled by your peace. In Jesus' name, amen.